Welcome to the Moon God Pod. I'm your host, JYLEX, a.k.a. Jason Harrell. You're watching the Moon God Pod, the uh, podcast that discusses many topics in the Web3 space. Uh, most importantly, Moon Gods and Moon Gods in real life. Today we have a uh I don't know how to I don't know how to introduce you as far as your Aku connection. Uh, you like can say I'm a moon god. Moon god, uh, but like partner Brian Brinkman, artist extraordinaire. Um you you're the first one that uh I can actually say is like like a true legitimate partner or collaborator. And I I kind of just uh really want to kind of start right there in your connection and like um, kind of that connection with Micah, uh, we just had the backpack um, drop and your piece was certainly one of the most popular ones. Um, really enjoyed your art. I did not get the backpack. I will admit it. Uh, just something like, and, and we were actually talking before we started, like I actually got hacked and lost a lot of my Aku stuff. So had I gotten the backpack, it would have, been part of the carnage so oh yeah it's true um that's an optimistic way of looking i guess yeah. <laughs> it would have um, gone up in the house fire so yeah 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 um yeah yeah so yeah long time aku fan um i have the moon god had the chapters um got got all, all sorts of akutars and then yeah i was very you know, honored to be a part of the first kind of artist collaboration drop uh, with Aku. And so me and four other artists did that backpack drop. And uh, I did, I did buy a backpack. I, I think I got Terrell and maybe Sandy. I'm not sure who the other one I got. Um, but yeah. So yeah, it was really fun to make a piece about that. Um, when the, when the team reached out to me, it was, it was a fun like challenge of like, Oh, how do I, do a piece about Aku that like kind of embodies, you know, my feelings about it, which is like, it's this brand, it's this, anybody can be in that helmet thing. And like what, you know, the helmet to me is like the, the core of the project. Cause it's like, that's the gateway to this imagination uh, world. And, uh, and for that piece, I kind of went outside of my normal style and tried to, emulate and create a, kind of an homage to Micah's painting past. And so I did my piece as more of a painterly piece as kind of a, a bridge between his current Aku world and his past painterly world, but then rolling in my kind of colors and style and kind of allowed me to kind of go outside of my own um, comfort zone. How did um, Micah come to you and what was that process like as far as like, Hey, I want you to, you know, kind of collab on this project that like, what was that um, discussion like? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've known Micah for years now in the space, but with this specific project, I was reached out to by Roger Dickerman, who I've also uh, collaborated with on his project artifacts. Right. Um, and so is Micah as well. And so I think Roger kind of helmed this, this drop. And so he reached out uh, to me and those other artists and was like, you know, I have this idea. What do you think about it? And I was like, this is awesome. You know, um, so it, it, it wasn't, a, you know, a deep discussion. It was a pretty easy yes for me because right. one, you know, I'm clearly a fan of the project and Micah and uh, I'm also a fan of the, the community. You know, it's been it's an awesome group. Is there, I, I mean, as an artist and I want to definitely like kind of unwrap 
that whole process as well. But when you're commissioned to do a project with or, or a piece with a specific kind of direction, how is that as an artist? Is that kind of is that like cool? Is that like do you like having kind of a, a implanted vision or is it kind of like all right, I'll do it, but like I, I, I'll give you an example. I'm a bartender and I know how to make you know every drink there is. And when people tell me like I want a cosmopolitan, but don't put triple sec in and put extra cranberry and put this in. And I'm like, I'll make it however you want. It's going to taste like crap, you know, because there's a, re there's a formula, you know, um, how was that for you? <laughs> well, first of all, a lot of respect for bartenders. Uh, the art of the cocktail is something I admire a lot. Um, I'm not good at making them, but I, I, I love going to bars where they're like, it's like a show of old, you know, speakeasy uh, cocktails. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so prior to NFTs, a lot of what I did was creating art based on other properties. And so I was doing these like gallery shows at Gallery 1988 in LA or Bottleneck Gallery in New York, where they would say, hey, we're doing a Super Mario theme show, or we're doing a Rick and Morty theme show, or we're doing Stephen King or Monty Python. And you go, okay, well, I have a subject matter. Now I'm going to make a piece of art based on that and kind of infuse it into whatever style I'm doing. So that was my art career for five, six years before NFTs. So when this type of stuff happens to me, it puts me back in that older mindset of like, here's a direction go in it, which I always kind of appreciate because sometimes as an artist, um, it's good to have constraints, whether it's timelines or subjects or themes. Otherwise you just kind of get lost in the, the building, the structures. Right. Uh, it's like, you know, the foundations of a collection are a lot harder to come up with than uh, pieces of art in my mind. Cause it's like telling a bigger story. The the whole bartending artistry, eh, maybe. Um, I, I did write a book called the bartending therapist that oh, yeah? apropos, but um, the, I just tell people, I'm like, just give me like, like a flavor palette. Like, do you want something sweet, fruity, you know, strong, whatever. If you give me, I was like, if you give me the paint, I'll make you a masterpiece. You know, that's, yeah. that's my way because I can't draw a straight line and my abstractness on a canvas is, you know, n n my my uh, introduction to art uh, class in college did not really uh, light a fire <laughs> in that realm. Um, so let's let's take it way back for you. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of work our way back to like where you got into nfts but just art as a whole like so like did you go to school for art did you work with someone has it always been part of your life and you know did did we have we been doing art like your whole life like pretty as, much yeah okay. um let's see all right i'll get i'll try and truncate this bio quickly but um started in middle school high school making internet cartoons on websites like newgrounds that that gave me the bug for making digital content sharing it and getting feedback um that then took me to going i got my cat sneezing in yeah, the background. Uh, yes <laughs> um and then uh i went to college in philadelphia for animation got a got a degree in animation um doing lots of like film festival type shorts and stuff like that um, from there, moved to New York, worked in 
fashion, advertising, toy commercials, music videos, um, animated television series. I did a lot of different things for, I don't know, five or six years. Kind of, And at the same time, I was freelancing, making websites. I was making music videos. I was making concert posters. I was doing anything and everything I could to channel artistic stuff um, in any way that I could make a living with or just as a hobby. You know, so usually I had a day job and then I had hobby jobs that didn't pay as well, but they were like creatively fulfilling. Um, right. So I was doing that. I was also like, yeah, performing live drawing at comedy shows, all sorts of fun things. Um, and then for a long stretch of it, I worked at uh, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. I uh, started it when it was late night. They came to Tonight Show a year later. Um, and then uh, Saturday Night Live in the visual effects department. So, you know, those were that was six days a week of making graphics and visual effects for comedy. Um, and then in my free time, I was doing all these other posters and things and t-shirts and whatever's. Um, and then eventually I, I discovered NFTs, uh, three years ago while I was still working those jobs. Um, but then about a year later, uh, I found enough success within the space that it became, uh, a catalyst for me to leave those jobs and do it full time. That's what's that moment like when you make that decision to kind of like be an artist full time, because there was a time and I'll, 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 I'll even go further further back like like if in 1999 you know not even to sit there and say you wanted to be an artist but if, you know like you told your parents like oh i'm going to college what's your degree art it's like oh <laughs> crap you know but like yeah. now uh the internet has just changed the game so much i mean and it, i used to um speak a you know and lecture like about my book and i would tell kids i was like we're finally in this era where if you want to be an artist, like you can actually make a business. Like I call it hotel art, but you could like mass produce like some crappy hotel art, but sell it, you know, do that like four hours a day. And then the next four to 10 hours, you could just focus on like the art that you really care about, but like you can build this business and still, you know, like encompass art as a whole, instead of doing the day job and then, you know, the wee hours of the morning, you know, throwing. Paint. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's that, that level of like commercialization of art. Um, yeah. That's what I think is fascinating about the CMT space is that it's, it, it create it forces artists to be better at business and marketing and all these things that for the most part we took for granted, you know, we were just making art and posting it and hoping people connect with it and maybe would reach out. Now there's like a sustainable path. Um, and so it was that moment, you know, if I, if I look at like the, the choices that I was making on why I made that leap, it was, I had just done art blocks and that was a success. I had just done my nifty gateway drop a few months earlier and I had started to have momentum and I had lined up, you know, I had an async music drop coming up at a nifty gateway drop in the summer, um, and there was a point where I was like struggling to like participate in the space and work my day job. And so it was, you know, I was doing, trying to do podcasts like this, which normally I would be at my job working. I couldn't do it right now. Um, and so it was a lot of those things where I was like, Oh, well, I'm only able to like put out art on the weekends, which isn't great because no one's available on the weekends. Right. And, uh, and so, and then I had made 
enough money from that first year saved up that I was like, oh, this is a year salary, essentially, of what I was making. And I was like, well, if I put that aside, I can try this for a year, see how it goes. And if it's sustainable, then it's great. And if not, I'll just have to go back and do what I was doing before. Um, but that like, you know, a lot of people were asking me around that time, like, oh, should I quit my job? I'm like, well, you should only quit your job if you have enough money to sustain without a job. Um, Cause it is a, it is a risk and it's, it's very volatile and, you know, success is not guaranteed at all in this space. And so it's, it's, there was a level of like preparation and thought behind it that it wasn't like, I'm quitting. I'm going to go do this thing. It was like, okay, I'm, I feel secure that I have enough things lined up that this is a, a, an actual job essentially, mm -hmm. but you lose your health insurance, which sucks. Well, yeah. I, I know that game. Um, yeah. So what was the first like introduction to just crypto and NFT where like you're, you're making this digital art. So were you like really kind of ahead of the game? Like as far as like being onboarded into like finding out about nifty gateway. I mean, I guess like crypto punks are kind of, you know, I don't want to speak out of school, but like one of the original NFTs and that nostalgia is, you know, why they, that's such a unique community to be a part of. Um, when was your onboarding and, and then like the transition to where you're like, I'm going to start minting on the blockchain, my art. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like when I joined the space, crypto punks weren't that popular. They were mm -hmm. like one ETH. They were like a $200 or something. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I thought they were kind of ugly. Um, <laughs> I didn't buy any very foolish mistake. Um, but you know, it wasn't until Kevin Rose and Gary V and Pranksy and all these people kind of built this narrative of like using that art as a profile picture, which, you know, a year before uh, Jimmy had done like, um, Avastars and like had kind of fed into this thing, but it hadn't really taken hold. And then once CryptoPunks did it, then you saw hash masks, then you saw board apes. And that that was well over a year after I joined the space. So that when I joined the space, it was mostly just crypto artists and a few projects, crypto voxels, you know, some, you know, things that were around and building that were in the early phases. Um, but it was a lot of just experimenting and seeing what was possible. There was a lot of limitations on what you could do. You couldn't make uh, videos as NFT, so you had to make them animated GIFs with a 50 megabyte limit. And so there was a lot of like interesting restrictions that now we're seeing the same kind of restrictions happening with like Bitcoin ordinals where people are trying to figure out like what you can do within that framework. Um, but yeah, I think that first year it was it was it was a hobby. I was like, this is the new Tumblr or you know the new you know, the new place where I think digital artists are going to create the new deviant art or something. Um, except there's a, a crypto aspect to it and there's a marketplace aspect to it. And so to me, I was just like, Oh, this is, this is really interesting. And it's a way for me to sell animation, which I've never had a method of doing before. So I got very excited about, you know, that aspect. Cause I was like, this is a step forward in animation being appreciated as art, um, which has always been, my whole career animation's always taken a backseat to everything else. When you go to the Oscars, the, the animation not even doesn't even make the main show sometimes. Um, they, so it's like, in, they used to have to like accept it from their seat and they couldn't walk on stage and stuff. So it's always been like looked down on. And so I saw that as like, Oh, this is like 
animation is going to start to be appreciated, collected, put into museums in a way that it always should have been. But there's always preconceived notions about animation being for kids and stuff. Um, so that that kind of all connected with me. Um, and I just kind of, yeah, I got in pretty early. I minted my first NFT in February 2020. Uh, he talked about Nifty Gateway. Uh, Micah was there on Nifty almost around that time, I feel like, when he was doing those like early uh, collaborations. Um, but uh, my first NFT drop on Nifty was October 2020, uh, which actually ended up being the day after Beeple's first Nifty Gateway drop. So it was like, it's like right at the beginning of this like big momentum swing of like awareness, which is pretty cool. It's fascinating um, that yeah. you say October because literally like I, my, my, in, uh, I think Linux, his uh, first NFT was bull run for people. And then he was telling me about it. And then it, for me, I believe January, 2021 NBA top shot, like um, the, the Bales uh, article comes out and we'd like jump on it. And yeah, really enough to catch the, full wave of top shot but like months can make a huge like like if you you know what i don't know exactly what you all bought in october but like if you were buying beeples you know like i did i unfortunately was not able to buy people even though i tried i tried for that dollar drop um there was people back then that had a little bit of a, a curve on everybody that they, they, they knew a workaround to get to the mint page a little faster yeah <laughs> they eventually fixed that but there was, yeah, there was, it was an unfair advantage for certain people back then. And I did not have it, that information, um, but I, I should have bought some people's, um, but I, I did buy, I certainly bought a bunch of art early on, even like Top Shot. I was buying Top Shot back in like August before it, And I was like, I was like, no, no one, this isn't, no one's connecting with this. Uh, I understood it, um, but I didn't think it would take off. And then it took like five months and then went crazy. Um, so I wish I had bought more packs back then. And then. What? I said it went crazy for like January, February. Yeah. March becomes the decline. And then, uh, you know, April, May, it's like, no, it's going to come back. It's good. And then it's just free falling from there. It was a pretty amazing moment because so many people in the space that are still in the space came in through Top Shot. There right. hasn't been a massive onboarding moment like that since in my opinion um may, I don't know, maybe maybe clone x i don't know um but i think uh that's always been kind of the well not clone x got nike afterwards i'm just trying to think of anything that might have like onboarded tens of thousands of people but i don't think so that that was it and because they were talking about it like on tnt like it's, yeah you know top um you know this needs to be a top shot moment was like a thing yeah yeah, and, yeah yeah you know like roham and that group it's like boy man like you had you had it all right here and i don't know if it was just pure greed or you know like i, I we actually did a podcast and that's how you know like we love micah's art and had him on like right after genesis drop you know yeah um, but we our podcast was basically a talk about top shot and, you know, there was an issue getting packs, you know, like I remember like being up at like two in the morning and like, you know, oh, they're, they're going to be dropping packs and like yeah. 
multiple devices and things, and it was it was really an exciting time. But the the idea that I hated from the beginning was like we need to figure out a way where everyone has a fair chance to get a pack. And I was like, no, we don't. Like you're going to ruin it. Like the participation ribbon, where like it's a fair playing field and everyone gets it. Nobody actually wants that if you want it to be valuable. You know, like if yeah. everyone's going to get a trophy then a trophy doesn't have any value, you know? Yeah. I think the problem, I mean, I, and it's interesting you mentioned it because I did a, a Top Shot podcast like the summer of 2021 and I actually got a bunch of, it was with like Plunge Feather, I think it was his name. Um, but but like, uh, it, like all these people, it, like it, it helped my nifty stuff so much. There's like a, a huge correlation between like, People that onboarded from that that became art collectors. Um, yeah, I think the problem with Top Shot was that they tried to meet the demand of the moment, and that demand was unsustainable. And you know that that was the, that was the peak of people buying NFTs, and you know now they just have an insane amount of supply. I was hoping uh, that their NFL one would fare better, and they would kind of learn from some of those mistakes. But it seems like it's struggling as well. Yeah, I did like um, the 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 genius move was the fact that you couldn't um you know the the withdrawal verification process took so long. It really did, and and so you just locked up just millions and millions of dollars, and you know people were just you know it, it's like you know being on the casino floor and it's like oh you can't change in your chips you just got to hold them. You know, oh, but by the way, while you're holding, we've got this craps table over here and this roulette <laughs> over here, you know. Yeah. Like, but uh, but that's you know, that was a that was a genius move. I think that was quite intentional. Um, but it just imploded on itself. Yeah. You know, no, I mean I so think part of it, no, just go yeah, you know, to close that up. Part of it I think is that in the end, people prefer a nice photo of a card versus a video of a play. Right. And the, they should have made the, the, the video could still be a part of it on the backside, but they should have made the front facing image more exciting than this weird cute. I, I think the product, I, I think the product was fine. I think the gamification that so rare is doing, if they had figured that out from the beginning. Yeah. You know, yeah, they tried a little bit of that with um the, the NFL one where you could you could make basically bets on who's going to do what which week, but it required you to burn and buy more stuff, and I think yeah. that's where it struggles. Yeah, I, I you know there's so many missteps, you know, and it's interesting because Rohan was like, I don't know what his connection ever was with Micah. But like he, it was funny because like the whole time he after Genesis came out, his background was the hallway. Oh yeah, and you know we, we were always speculating. It's like, you know, well, what is this? And you know, there's a lot of double talk with some people, and it's like I rem- we were at uh, Aku, um, Aku World ba- uh, Art Basel, and yep, I was there, and he was talking, and you know, it's like. He he's really good at saying a bunch of stuff without saying anything at all. <laughs> yeah. No, I like. I mean, Rohan was very supportive of me. Um, mm-hmm. I I hope they get their stuff together. 
that basil is interesting. I, I, I think I might be one of the only people that still have that like weird um, ready player me avatar. Did you pull from... it off the, the FTX site? I did. I did. So I think I might be the only one that did though. <laughs> I, yeah, I think uh, I'm still hopeful. Like maybe that comes because I definitely, I you know that was. I mean, we got free Aquitars for owning it, so it it it, it, it the value transferred in the end. But like it's right. yeah, it's it's in my Solana wallet, and I don't even know what to do with it because it's like <laughs> I think it really is like the only one that was transferred out of FTX before that happened. Yeah, I had to lie about my location to to get, well, I may cut this from a because FTX wasn't allowed in New York, so I had to like get it on and then work with Aku to get it off because I didn't want I didn't want any legal things with having FTX in New York. Did you um get one? Of, I I also got one of the QR codes from like chasing the wall and got one of those. Oh, you did? Yeah. In the, nice. Well, it's on my FTX wallet, so yeah. You know, yeah, that was a bummer. I mean, so there's there's a number of bummer moments. Uh, and did I you want, have a bunch of stuff on FTX as well, or no? No, I mean, just okay, good. In the overall space, you know, like you know, we and we were talking about this off air, you know, like about you know your your wallet gets hacked, rugs, you know, like there's definitely projects that I bought into and have like you know. Like there, there was one uh, NFT siblings or Starship siblings mm. that was kind of really supported and fanboy uh, uh, or championed by Pack, and they. Basically- oh yes, yeah, they have. Yeah, they have a little, they have a little Nimbud. Uh, yeah. Uh, trait. And you know, I thought I thought they were cool. Um, you know, I was in their Discord, and they seemed to be like all about it and you know they're basically a rug you know like i went in there and i was and i said so you guys are a rug right and they're like no no we're just not gonna do anything with our you know pfps i was like that is kind of what a rug is <laughs> you know like yeah it was now you know yeah there was a moment where i mean that whole community was so deep into pack i assume they they might have struggled um but yeah, I thought that. I mean, I was honored to have a little character. I don't think I got paid or anything for it, but I was like, feel free to add. Uh, that was a moment in time where I was just like, people were adding Nimbud trait to things. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. It was like Crypto Dick Butts has one. Uh, there's a lot of like fun things. And I was like, oh, well, I'm okay with you know my art just becoming a part of the culture of the space. Um, but yeah, I can't. Unfortunately, uh, I thought. I did enough due diligence. I was like, "Oh, these guys are legit collectors, and they're they're doing their own thing." But yeah, yeah. I think a lot of these projects, especially the PFP projects, you know, and I, I've said this on the show a number of times. Used to, you have a business plan, you pitch it, and you get funding. This was like you just threw something out there, you got all this funding, and then you had to create a business plan. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's not going to work ever. You know, like Mike is one of the few people I think in this space that as an artist also had this vision of like he's he said, like the chapters, especially was a proof of concept, you know, to build a community and a fan base around this character. 
and the bigger play is this character coming to life uh, yeah. in the, more of the web two fashion, you know, the film, the uh, TV show, um, education, all these uh, different verticals. I want to kind of get your perspective because you are obviously an avid collector as well as an artist. And so when it comes to the word utility, like mm-hmm. you have art, you, you know, you have people that have collected your, your works. Um, I imagine like you have the Brian Brinkman community. When did this kind of become a thing? Like, where we expect utility from everything because I, I like my favorite artist and I minted, um, you know, a number of his pieces and I have, I would love for it to, you know, like be with value, but like Ted Chin is one of my hands down. I love mm-hmm. his art. Like that's great. Saw him last week. Yeah. He's so happy go lucky. And I would love for his pieces to be worth 10, $20,000. But, um, like, especially the elephant piece, you know. Mm-hmm. I know exactly which one. That's, that's my favorite piece. I think of- I have that one, too. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so like, I, but I never, I didn't buy it sitting there saying, so, Ted, how are you going to make me money? And what's the utility behind it? What, what, what is your feeling? And where did that kind of become such a thing? Yeah. Well, I think gamification took hold with airdrops uh, and then nifty played into it to a degree with collectors only drops, mm-hmm. um, which then encouraged people to buy and hold because then you're going to get future value. Um, you know, I, I played into that to a degree. I did dollar drops for collectors. I think I thought it was a cool mechanism, but there is this expectation. If you ever do it once that buying anything from you is then a gateway ticket to future value, which is not a sustainable thing for anybody. Um, And we've seen that kind of play out. And then we saw it again recently over the years with like open editions and burn mechanics and buying five of something in anticipation for a burn in the future where you have to burn 10 of those things or, you know, there's a lot of these gamifications. And I think that's where artists appealed to the gamblers of the space to a degree um which is i think there's there's levels to that it's good to give value to collectors and give rewards and incentivize things but you it shouldn't be pure gambling as as well um and you're asking when did i think that started hmm probably i don't know maybe it was like but i think uh, there's a gamification yeah. So there, there was a group that um, I I don't know how real it was. I'd heard it on a podcast, but they talked about like this special group of people that basically pumped, like they did it in Top Shot, like they pumped it all the way up, like the strategic and you know kind of wash trading mm-hmm. looked a certain way, and then they got out Zed Run, like the horses, like they moved on to that one. You know, uh, there was a, yeah. and then that like one after the horses, that's when all the PFP projects kind of start really kind of coming out, you know, like yeah. you got your apes and then 
Um, it seemed like every other week there was some animal PFP 10K project coming yeah. up. Yeah. You know, I would say there isn't, in my mind, there isn't some Illuminati group, um, but there is a, an underlying network of alpha sharing mm-hmm. um, that goes across every group. Um, right. And, you know, if, if you share an alpha here, someone will see it and then share it over here and share it over here and here. And those people that are in those chains of telephone first are the alpha groups. Um, and then eventually it hits the timeline. And then by the time it hits the general public, those people already got in a great deal and then can get out on the public. Uh, and so there is this like pump and dump mechanic of that. Um, whether or not that's it's controlled by one group, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's controlled by a hundred different groups uh, and they each make their own calls and it spreads across all these different ways. Um, so yeah, I do think there is, there's certainly a lot of pump and dump stuff. And I think that's why art is a little different because there's just not the liquidity to dump on a lot of things <laughs> for the most part. There was with Nifty and you kind of highlighted it where you said it started with Nifty or it stopped at Top Shot and then it went to Zed Run, then it went to Nifty and then it went to Art Blocks and then it went to, you know, there's always going to be this hot project of the moment mm-hmm. that these people that want quick money will flock to from all directions. And so and then they, they pump it up and then once there's no longer liquidity, they move on to the next thing. Yeah. And so a lot of artists got wrapped up in that you know, fuck render, you know, thank you X. All these people that were at the top of Nifty Gateway during that moment where everyone was pumping it got hit in that moment. They made a bunch of money, but then their floors couldn't sustain because all those people moved on somewhere else. Uh, And it takes a lot of time to rebuild. And what we're seeing is the people that are still around, still going like those guys, they're doing just fine because they stuck with it. A lot of those artists in that moment couldn't sustain and dropped off and disappeared. And then those are the, the ones that are left with zero liquidity essentially um and so yeah i think it's there's always going to be this aspect of speculation um mm. because there's a monetary value tied to what we do i think for artists it's about being very careful about not playing into those crowds uh, in a way because those crowds do not care about the art they don't care about the project. You know, the people that pumped Akutars when those dropped immediately, 30% of those people gave zero care about Akutar and the world that's being built. And we're not a part of it. They just saw it as um, a money dump that they could rise up and down, play whatever they wanted to into it. Um, and so eventually those people get weeded out and the communities get stronger. But, you know, you're talking about Aku. I think Fawocious is a great example of someone building a bigger idea, um, Fuck Render did it with Lucidia. You know, there's a lot of these artists that take these big moments uh, and build a bigger brand around it. Me personally, I have not done that. I prefer to keep my stuff small and scarce um, because I've, I want people to look at my art as art, not as a brand, because I think once you start to do it into that business side of things, then there's a different expectation of what you're building. Then it's like, why aren't you hiring people to do this? Why aren't you doing this? You know, it's like it becomes a much bigger, you know, web of things that I have to control. And for me, I, I, um, I like to kind of roll ride solo in a lot of this space 
and not have, have full control over my art and all this other stuff. And I feel like once you build yourself into a business, then you, there's a lot more voices telling you what to do in a way that makes me a little less comfortable. You know, like if I look at the apes, I mean, you can tell me that it's art. I don't know how it was necessarily created. So, you know, I, I don't. It was a group of artists. Uh, yeah. All seeing Seneca was a concept artist on it. She's a fantastic artist. So, I mean, they were kind of the first ones. Then there was like a bunch of crap ones where I, where I feel like they just, you know, punched in a bunch of traits and then it just spit out. And then we have, you know, um, I don't even like the giraffes or the turtles or, yes, you know. Yes. And, it, and it's... There, there's so many that are just so very similar. It's like the same thing. You just substitute the animal for it, right? 100%. And Animal clubs. Yeah. And then, you know, and and they're all, you know, every community. We've got the- I got a, I got a Sheba right here. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's like, we've got the best community. And it's like, as long as the floor price is there, of course. Like the siblings was a great community. And like what they, <laughs> yeah. they were saying. Yeah. They were doing yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That goes back to your, your question about utility. What yeah. What is the utility? Is the utility the price or is it the community? Right. Or is it getting more art? Back, back during that moment, I was so bullish on projects that were artist-led. It was Peaceful Groupies, Creature World. I was like, oh, well, as long as the artists are there, it's going to be solid. But then what I realized... Um, which I, I still love those projects. I still own them. I love those artists. What I realize is that people just don't care about the art when they're playing in that world. Um, yeah. They care about getting free money. They don't care about getting more art. Um, and that, that was a realization for me that I thought the space was a, a different place than it really was. Um, uh, we just have to realize that just like in the real world, yeah. um, there's way more people that are buying and trading Pokemon cards than are buying art in galleries in New York. And the art side of the space is always going to be a small piece of a bigger pie of what people actually enjoy collecting. Yeah. I I look at Micah, and again, like we had him on my um, the first podcast I ever did, and... You know, I knew he was a killer. You know, he's got the pedigree, you know, as far as just um, coming from the, you know, professional ranks. But I will say that you can have, I live in LA. You live in New York. Everybody and their brother has an idea, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I can throw, I can throw a rock from my couch and hit somebody with a script, you know, yeah. or like, uh, you know, I came up with a ideas. pitch deck. Yeah. You know, but I will say like with Micah, um, there's some growing pains. I think we're kind of seeing it now in, in the fact that, you know, great. You were a professional athlete and it takes a lot of work ethic. The work ethic is what we're betting on in his artistic, artistic vision and, uh, and his idea for the story. But like, you're not a CEO. We're, but we're treating you like one. You're not uh, a CFO, you know. But we're treat we're expecting you to be one. And even like like you know the creation of like uh, what we assume is like a script, 
you know, for an eventual movie or TV series, you're not a writer. Yeah. You know, like these are positions that uh, there's so many different elements where it's not just you um, being an artist, you know, and that's where it gets, I, I you know, the difficulty and um, I don't know. I, I, I think the business of doing it as opposed to just being like an artist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, he has a strong team around him. The thing that Micah has, as well as myself, but I, I haven't used it in the same degree he has, is we have we ha- we do have connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're both signed to the CAA, which is a Hollywood agency that can help make things happen. And so I think that's a lot. You know, we're betting on his work ethic, but we're also betting on his network of connections. Um, you know, we've seen it with all these brands that he was worked with. It's really awesome. Um, and so I think that's like we don't see that a lot when it comes to artists. I mean, we recently saw what Jeremy Booth did a thing with Wrangler, which is fun. That like, That's like similar um, in that sense. But yeah, I think the, this idea of what is the, what is the, the final goal for a project like this? Is it to have a movie? Is it to have a video game? Um, that to me, that's all secondary to this uh, bigger idea of what IP or, you know, having a, having a character that is, recognizable um and i think aku is that i think there's i think aku's in that top echelon of notable visual figures in the nft space which is a very hard thing to have i would like to the movie thing is what was the big thing for me and not just because i think movies are cool you know and i like it to la I'd like Aku to be like the little, you know, uh, the kid version of Black Panther, you know, like, yeah, I, and I, and I, and I see it every day when I close my eyes and think of where Aku could be. Um, it's just, I, I do know that path is difficult. If you had to put like Micah sits there and it's like, you know what, man, I am burnt out. Can you, uh, can you, can you sit in my chair for a little bit? Like, what do you think is the 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 most important thing that you would have uh, the Aku project focused on? Um, and I don't want to say to turn the ship around. Like I think uh, I think there has been a lot of pivots, but I also think there's, uh, you know, we're we're even for the community, it's an iceberg. We're we're missing out on ninety percent of what goes on, whether it's good or bad. Uh, yeah. so so you you become captain of the ship. Like, what's your kind of focus for this? Particular- um, if I, <laughs> uh, I would say lean into the merchandising. They've they've started doing that, and I think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Aku playing into the culture side of it is going to have a faster connection with the general public than a movie. Um, if you just make dope hats and shirts and you know shoe collaborations like that kind of like playing into that sneaker world like i think there's a lot of opportunity there for like building up the brand i mean we saw this week uh it was like mlb tv Mm -hmm. one of the hosts was wearing an aku shirt like that's cool and that's like that's more visible than a video game that is you know token gated by nfts um and so like that that that's 
in, in terms of the short term, I think playing into that. And he has all these connections with all these other fashion brands via these collaborations that are kind of built into it. Um, so to me, I think that's like, that's a huge strength that it has. Um, mm. I don't know if, if I was in charge. Well, I, you know, there's no wrong or right answer. I did think, like, when we, the first concept of the burn came up before we found out about the backpacks and more art, um, as cool as that was, and I think it was a good test, like, my hope was, like, burn for, like, sneakers, like an Aku sneaker, you know, like... yeah. If it's Micah, you know, drawing on like a, an Air Force One or you know some kind or yeah, a shell toe or something like that. Unfortunately, it's like that's a great idea, but realistically, it would be a huge cost to them right. for the burn uh, that they wouldn't be able to recoup anything with because royalties are pretty much gone right now. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, the project had a problem with its launch where it didn't make a lot of that money. Unfortunately. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm in the same thing where it's like, I, I bought this project with a, a buddy of mine and the original artist, Super Shiba Club. Mm. Um, you know, I, I fronted the money because it was a project that, um, I, I loved it. I collected it. I thought the artist was awesome and they kicked the artist out of the project and the project went to zero. So me, another, uh, board ape friend and bought it back with the artist. That way she could have control of her project back. But the problem with that is nobody pays royalties. We're making zero money. So everything we do is out of pocket. And so like anything, it's like, oh, we should do like, you know, you could, you have these dolls or something, but it's like, that's just a straight up net loss. And so for most with a project like, you know, Aku that has a team of people, everyone's going to say, there's no money to be made there. Um, and if anything, we're losing money. So it's like, how do you, you have to do it in a way that it's like a brand partnership where that brand kind of fronts the cost. How was that blow? I mean, with the royalties, like, you know, I, there, there was always, you know, some of the fees or whatever is like 15%, I think like on nifty gateway, like that's a bit outrageous, you know, but like to sit there and kind of take away the artist royalties. Yeah. Yeah. Know. I mean, I, I think certain PFP projects got really greedy, you know, I think there is tiers to supply and percentages, if you're doing 10,000, it should be like 5% lower. If you're doing small editions or one of ones, it should be 10% for artists. Um, but what we saw was a lot of these PFP projects were stealing the artists' royalty ideas that were originally conceived for one of one art on Super Rare and applying it to 10,000 editions that sell thousands a day and they were just raking in tons of royalties. And, and so it created this animosity towards royalties that all these DJs hated them and they didn't fully understand why they were even there. Um, when Blur did it, it didn't affect me too much because none of my art was really on Blur. When OpenSea did it, it hurt because, you know, that was, that was, you know, a lot of the things we were talking about gamification earlier. I sold those $1 additions to collectors with the idea that they would flip it, they would make money, and I would make 10%. And that would be the difference of not making any money on it. So a lot of these ideas for the first two years of the space I was selling things with this idea that I would make up the difference down the road via royalties. And so when that went away, it made you reconsider. And that's why we're seeing a lot less airdrops. We're seeing a lot less, you know, gamification stuff because the, those ideas and notions about how you can run a business in a way that wins for everybody, it became, you know, 
PVP versus PVE or whatever. So, uh, you know, we were no longer working together. Though I will say a lot of collectors are still very good about paying royalties to artists. There's still a lot of respect. And I think there will be more marketplaces that are coming out that build them back in and maybe incentivize them in different ways, whether or not, you know, it's just, but in the end for an artist, it's about, it goes back to what we were talking about before, really selling to the right audience that respects what you do versus treating it like a, um, an altcoin. Right. Yeah. Oh, the Pepe thing is interesting, sort of like, I it's sh- silly. And people are going to get wrecked, which is, yeah, that's but, the game. Yeah. I, I I usually figure it's like as soon as I see someone, you know, like a some it, it could be bogus, like put fifty dollars in four days ago and now he's a millionaire. I was like, well, I've obviously missed the boat, you know, like so. Yeah. Well it goes back to that talk about alpha groups. By the time that I would have bought it, I would have been too late. Well, I, I, I've been I might have been on the early swing. But that's a you know, in the end I try not to play into these pump and dump games. Because I'm very visibly in the space. And right. if I do that, it, it'll have a long-term net negative on me. Even if I make money doing it now, mm-hmm. people will resent me because I'm visibly dumping on others. Uh, so I'm always a fan of like selling on a on the, the beginning of a pump curve right. versus like trying to time the top and dumping on other people. Well, people uh, came under flack over this thing and, you know, like, I, you just first of all the internet's undefeated you'll never win you know like the the trolls yeah. like uh, there's just everything you can do is there's going to be haters and and whatnot and and people just are sore losers they can't accept the fact that like they just made a bad decision like like i said you know I appreciate the Aku community reaching out and uh, some people were very generous and like bought some of my Aku Tars. You know, obviously this podcast is important to me, but it's important to them. And so they, they all said, this isn't charity. This is just kind of thanks, you know, supporting you. And so when I lost like a bunch, like I just owned it. Like, yeah, I screwed up somehow along the way, you know, like I thought I was doing the things right and it happened you know, um, I a personal note for me is like I went through Hurricane Katrina, and that sucked. I mean, I literally yeah. lost everything and like had to evacuate. But what it taught me was that you know, like like you can do everything right essentially, and it's not a punishment. It's just it's life, you know. Yeah, uncertainty. And, I'm not a religious guy, but I I always like the saying that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> you, you, oh, you 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 go, you're doing good, everything's smooth sailing. You know, yeah, right turn. So now, I appreciate you kind of talking about that publicly. There's been a lot of times in the past few years where some of my biggest moments that I've been proud of were side by side with like a family member dying and stuff like that. But it's like you know, I don't want to. I don't. I, I rarely feel comfortable like sharing that information with people because I'm like, oh, I don't want to like feel you know feed sympathy and all this stuff. But like, there is this like yeah, a lot of people 
talk about the wins and not the losses. So it's important to like own up to those things. And, you know, even I bought a, a, a fake NFT the other week and I basically just said, Hey, I did this. It sucks, but learn from my mistake. You know um, it's because I, I, I thought I was being clever and got an artist piece that was great, but it turns out um, it was one he did on Tezos and then someone copy minted it onto Ethereum and made a whole elaborate open C page for him and all this. Uh, it was, it was, I got, I got swindled. Um, it happens. Um, but uh, you know, you sell it for 0.1, uh, and take a tax loss on it. And <laughs> tax harvesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, it, it speaks to the bigger problem in the space, which is, um, every single day we are at, at war with, a a bunch of scammers that have created a minefield uh, that we have to walk through carefully, um, which is just not a path to long-term success when the odds of being hacked or scammed are extremely high percentages. <laughs> Over time, I think everyone will have some sort of breach um, and it just sucks. Uh, and hopefully things will get better. I know there, there, there's, there's new protocols being built, um, but it's just it's just a sad truth of the space is that it attracts a lot of terrible people that want to want to hurt you. So, so everyone keeps waiting for you know when, when is when's the date when's the turn the bull market returns. Do you you know I think I don't think I'm alone, but you know one of the biggest factors has nothing to do with Web three. I think the security thing like scares a lot of people, you know, um, but I think it's just the global economy as well. Like, yeah, we're not we're not moving anywhere until the the rest of the world. I mean, you know, like like gas prices in California, like I just filled up yesterday and it was five fifty a gallon. <laughs> it, it, it almost hit seven bucks. Like, yeah, a while back, you know, but like, it, you know. We get excited. It's like, oh, gas is, you know, down a dollar. It's like, yeah, but it's up like four dollars from what it was like two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you kind of nailed it. Like, I don't. We're, we're having a little moment right now, mm -hmm. but I'm I'm very bearish on summers. I've been through the space long enough to know that every summer um, people um, in a healthy way step away from their computers a lot more they go out you know i just bought a hammock I'm very excited to have a hammock um it's important to get out and you know touch grass as they say um and i think we're going to see a lot of people do that the market's going to kind of crawl uh, but th that's also a time that people are going to be building and then i think what we're going to see maybe september october we see it start to really rebound again um uh, but at the same time, I think what the market's never going to be totally dead. But what we'll see probably in the summer when things get really slow is people will consolidate back into the blue chips. Um, whether what that is to you is there's a lot of different blue chips out there, but the companies that are still doing stuff will be the blue chips because <laughs> right. like, a lot of a lot of these projects are going to run out of money and fade away. Yeah. Um and so I think our blocks will be probably a big winner when that happens. Um, and I think artists will be a big winner because, you know, the artists 
we've been making art for 20 years. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, for, you know, we're going to continue to do that and build and grow and build our brands or whatever we want to call it. Um, so I think, you know, that those are the, you know, people will go, what, what's going to be here for the long term that I can invest in. I think it's going to be artists. Um, and a, a handful of projects that have runway. Um, and I think, so I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic about that, but, uh, or who knows, maybe, maybe shit coins and PFPs rally again, but I doubt it. There's just too many of them. Um, I, I know we're kind of getting towards the end, so I kind of want to pull things around full circle, but we just finished uh, NFT NYC. I did not go, um, yeah. you know, a month ago it was LA, you know, we have Art Basel. Um, those three kind of seem to be like the points on the triangle of the NFT IRL. Right? Yeah, no, uh, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm currently on a, a world tour uh, right now where I did NFT LA. NFT NYC. Next week, I'm going to Consensus in Austin, and then I'm doing VCon um, in May. Um, and so I think we're going to see things be optimistic through those, and then the summer will hit in June, and I think that's when things will be like, ah, in, a, in a healthy way. Um, but yeah, I think Basel will be fun. Um, but that's yeah, those seem... Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think well, Basel will be like what November again. Um, so I, I'm cautiously optimistic, but, uh, yeah, I think the consensus will be more tech based. I'm curious to see what the vibe is there. I thought NFT NYC was a great vibe this year. It was very art focused. A lot of the PFPs stayed home. Did you go Hmm? to the conference or did you just do sides? I stopped by the conference for a few hours on one of the days. Um, and I, I checked it out and then I, uh, you know, went upstairs and watched a couple speakers for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the most part, I went to all the other events. There was a lot of art-focused events, galleries and stuff like that. Um, a lot of a lot of dinners, a lot of collectors throwing dinners, which was very lovely. Um, but, I mean, I know Aku had something at the King of Midtown event. I saw Roger there. Um, yeah. And so I think, but for the most part, most PFPs kind of stayed home this time uh, because uh, they the conference came earlier than the previous year. And I think just the vibes were a little more like, you know, be careful with spending right now, Um, which is totally, again, it's very smart and reasonable, but that opened the door for a lot of artists to get showcased. And so that's why I felt like the vibes are pretty good. Um, In FTLA, um, it wasn't a huge turnout, but it was, uh, I don't know, the the speaker quality was solid. It was fun to see a lot of people there too. But it was, it wasn't like packed. It, it definitely wasn't as. Um, but I, I think all the conferences this year are going to feel a lot smaller than last year for a bunch of reasons. Yeah, LA's a pain in the ass because like I looked at the hotspot map and there was something in Venice, Santa Monica, downtown Hollywood, and yeah, we don't have the subway system you boys do. So you know, yeah, and it rained all week. It's kind of a drag. Yeah. Um, but I, I enjoyed. LA. The thing I enjoyed the most about LA was probably the last night. I just went to a house party where people were just sitting around a bonfire in the backyard. I was like, oh yeah, this is like this is the best part about LA. <laughs> it's like the vibes. Yeah. Do you know uh do you know Blue Orgy? Yeah, I love him. Yeah. But he he was I 
he was he got a house i think or an airbnb and i live uh in el segundo by the beach and oh cool the thing about la people is like when you're in your bubble like you just don't you know yeah just, i know el segundo i have a friend that lives out there yeah you can't I just used to go ride my bike with him over over there yeah you can't just text or something and be like hey like you know we just got back we're hanging out and i'm like enjoy yeah. <laughs> you know nah, like, i had a great time hanging out with him I, I saw him quite a bit while i was out there and i saw him in new york last week too he's, yeah he's extremely active yeah. um but uh yeah la is a bit of a i stayed in the hotel figueroa this time um but i think next next time i don't want to stay downtown it's it gets a little too shady at night around oh, there it's like night of the living dead like on skid row and it's skid row like you can't sit there and say skid row is here it's this organism that moves, I've, like, I've been watching documentaries about it recently it's pretty fascinating um yeah. i actually just did a podcast earlier today where i talked about skid row for like five minutes <laughs> when, when i first moved to la um, I was doing a film downtown LA and it was like, uh, it was like a zombie ish type movie. And I remember turning down and like being on Skid Row like six in the morning. And I was like, are they already setting up? And I won't even, I wasn't even close to yeah. where I was supposed to be. You know, yeah, for- it's, it's, it's pretty wild. It's a, yeah. but I, I used to go down to the art walks when I was living there and there's a really good, um, sandwich spot the, the the place that invented the uh the french dip yeah Leapes, yeah like one block away so you can be very careful yeah there's also a really good that there's like a flower district that's like a tiny little chunk of it and there's like a um there's a nice like brunch spot that's on top of a car garage over there yeah it's it's cool uh you know venice, yeah. venice beach is like you have to go check it out but like when when I like if I hear people that hang out in Venice Beach, I'm like, oh, you must like those are like those are like bodybuilders. Yeah, and they're those guys are like crazy. There, there's always crazy videos coming, but just you know, Venice Beach is not where you know. There's there's much better choices for your beach. Yeah, I'm a big fan of um, El Matador Beach, mm-hmm. which is like a little north of Venice. Yeah, but it's not really a swimming beach, but it's just a really pretty beach with these like awesome giant rocks and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah, I think, I don't know. I do like, I like riding bikes around Venice Beach. I like renting the bikes and like bar hopping around the beaches. Well, you, uh, can, you can go all the way to like um, Redondo. Yeah. And then- there used to be that Redondo arcade that was awesome, but they closed yeah. it. Yeah. Real drag. Cause I was like, that was a fun, like, ride to the arcade and back like trip. So I want to ask, um, we get you out of here on two last questions. My first sure. question is, you know, obviously you're well-traveled. I'm going to assume, however, that you will say New York has the best food. Is that in your experience? I think, well, it depends what kind of food. I think LA has better Asian food, like Korean barbecue, oh. um, pho, like a lot of that stuff. And, it's just better in LA. Um, and I would say like the Mexican food, uh, wow. Cal- Cali, Mexico food is just way better out there. Um, and so I think New York has awesome food though. Um, we're definitely, it's definitely, you know, you get spoiled here cause it does have like amazing food, but, uh, I'm a big fan of, 
uh, Korean barbecue and you, you can't find all you can eat Korean barbecue in New York easily, but it's everywhere in LA and it's so good. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, I think each one has its own flares. Um, I grew up in Nebraska, so it's like, I've, um, I think the, the, the steak and stuff there is pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, New York's pretty, pretty solid. Uh, it's probably got better Italian food uh, than LA, uh, better pizza for sure. Um, I, I appreciate the history. Like my favorite spot in New York is Keens. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, but it's not because it's the best steak I've ever had. It's the ambiance. It's, it's got, yeah, it's classic history. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. New York's, I don't know. It's one of those places. I mean, same with LA where like, you're never going to be able to eat everywhere. Like I was very excited. I got to eat at Carbone, uh, during an FTMIC because that's like, a, a storied restaurant that everyone goes, you got to eat at this place. And finally, um, you know, the collector Anonymux um, and rented out the whole place and we all got to eat it. It was incredible. But uh, I also was so excited to talk to so many people um, that I was, I stood up from the table and started talking to people and I totally missed the main course. Ah. I was like, I got up and I looked and I was like, they're already serving dessert. I was like, <laughs> I, I will say good company makes the meal taste so much better you it's know? true it was yeah it was it was a blast i was sitting next to like baroque and all these people and it was great conversations um but uh yeah i think yeah new york new york's definitely got italian food on lockdown yeah. um and it's yeah but there's some places in la i still well Lenny I, I i'm a big fan of um portos yeah yeah, they don't have anything like that in New York. Lovox always tries to bring Chicago into the uh, equation. I was, and I, I always just, I'm like, Chicago's cute. LA. I love Chicago. Chicago's the city that when, I know I went there when I was like a teenager. And that was the city that made me want to live in a big city. Really? Because yeah. uh, it's like, you can just walk downstairs and get amazing pizza. Like, I was like, I don't want to live in the suburbs anymore. I don't want to live in like a small town anymore. Um, and so that, that, that inspired me to like move to Philly and then New York and stuff like that. So uh, Chicago's got awesome food. I think they put too much weird stuff on their hot dogs. Um, but, uh, I, I think that I do like deep dish pizza. That's pretty good. Yeah. I, there's a, there's a Detroit pizza, um, that I like, like, that yeah. just like it's so bready. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a loaf. Yeah. I, I like, I like that. I, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, like pizza is like sex. Even bad sex is still sex. <laughs> you know, like it's true. So the, the one thing about New York is that you go out and you go to these parties or whatever, and there's always going to be a pizza place for you to like soak up some of that booze. Yeah, but everybody has their own. Like my, the place that I go in New York to get a slice, like that I always have to hit is, it's right around the corner from Madison Square Garden. Like I don't. I don't even remember the streets, but I just like they have the what I call soup pizza, mm -hmm. you know, square pizza. Okay, that's my favorite pizza joint. And in the regular, I think it calls what grandma slices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I so I always have to go, but everybody in New York has like their one spot where like that's you know yeah and the the debate you know goes on. But I'm a big fan of there's one called um, Anna Maria right off the Bedford stop in Williamsburg. And I used to go to a lot of comedy shows and concerts in that area. And that's like 
the best drunk pizza place ever. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have, uh, I'm not sure you got in New York too. Like when games, you know, at the Staples center, get out or the Hollywood bowl. And there's just that fleet of little hot dog carts, you yeah. know, like it always smells so good and I don't trust it one bit. <laughs> like, oh, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of street meat. Yeah. Um, halal food. I'm a big fan. Um, get some lamb over rice. Now you're also talking to the same guy that has no problems eating street tacos in Tijuana <laughs> or guinea pig in Peru. Like, yeah, meat on a stick. If I see meat on a stick, I, I gotta try it. Like, I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I will say the the pretzels are better in Philly than New York. I don't, I don't really mess with New York pretzels. They're always kind of gross. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, the hot dogs are usually okay, but they're yeah, it's it's a it's a grab bag. Yeah, Nathan's good. I like the snap, the sabrets. I like I like uh, I like a, the big, you know, like meat beef dog, you know, <laughs> yeah. ballpark type, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you if you go to like Italian festivals like San Gennaro, you can get these like big like sausage rolls and with like yeah. onions and peppers on them. They're really good. Yeah, that's great. Well, last question uh, we always ask if is there um, if you can help us, who would you like to see on the Moon God Pod? And the caveat is you have to be able to help us get them. Oh wow! Um, I, well, you said I'm the first of the artists to do this, right? Yep. You should get defaced because. Um, uh, that man's awesome, and he's got a great sense of humor. He's a real carmudgeon. I think he'd be pretty funny. All right, I'll try and connect you. Yeah, that's always the, you know, it's it's always like reaching through the DMs because there's, you know, like I like my best friend in the world. Like I like I'll text him. He'll send me a message on the Instagram. I'll respond on Facebook, and then he'll tweet me. It's like. You know, checking a million different inboxes and especially like when you're uh, not like following, following and can actually hit the DMs. But I'm sure your DMs are probably uh, overflowing at times. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's hard to filter the ones that are authentic versus the ones that are just straight up scams like we were talking about earlier. Um, I usually just go based on whether we have mutual friends. I feel like you have more than 10 mutual friends then they're probably legit. Yeah. I, you know, it's crazy. Like, remember, I don't know if you recall, like, OpenSea, like, one of the guys at OpenSea got hacked. And mm. there's, like, um, a flurry of, like, his email got hacked. And so they were sending out all these. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, they got the list. And I kid you not, since that's happened, every day I'm getting so many, like, it's like Coinbase, like your account needs to be verified or did you? Oh yeah. I got, I got added onto one of those like lists yeah. where I think you can like put someone's email on a list and it just mass spams them. Yeah. And there was, there was a few days where like I was getting 10 emails every 10 seconds and it was just, I had to like, it took days for me to like get past it. And I still am just flooded with spam. It's really a real bummer. <laughs> but, I always I, I hate the little red dots for your notification. Like I'm yeah. one, like has to like at least I gotta get rid of the red dot. 
And then, I miss a lot of messages because I, I, I zone out when it comes to like, yeah, I get like my, my phone notification list is just like infinite. So I just like close them all out usually because I can't handle it. Yeah. I, expect, well, text messages for sure, but like emails, I, for a long time, kept up really good with like always like deleting everything and kind of having my, uh, my inbox. And now I'm at like 15,000. I was like, I give up. I can't. I'm done, you know. Yeah. I snoozed on it too long. You know, you you win again, internet. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. There's no there's no pureness to the internet. It's all it's all messy. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's fun about it. Well, my guy, really appreciate you taking the time out. You've been hitting the circuit, so I was like I was like, he must be, uh, got his feet on the ground. And, um, yeah, I, I go through waves of like doing drops. And then now I'm in this like creative mode again where I'm prepping a bunch of other drops for the future. And so during these times, it's like, okay, yeah, now I can like talk about, you know, I want to, I want to shine light on my past work, you know, support the secondary markets and all that. So that's what I'm kind of focusing on for the next month or so is just not, not doing a lot of drops, but just kind of elevating past stuff. Yeah. Well, it's great. Really uh, enjoyed your work, especially with the Aku drop and look forward to more as it uh, comes down the pike. And hopefully, you. you know, this space will, you know, go into a direction where, uh, you know, the art is truly just recognized and, you know, whatever happens in this space, one thing is for certain, like this will be a case study for years to come and we'll, you know, be spoken about um in every art class room you know here on out because it's revolutionary you know the digital art and you're a part of that you know and and uh, you had mentioned about getting like the little nods from other artists and stuff you know i i recall when I, I used to be a sports anchor and this is like really before the internet but like my best friend was also a sports anchor and we would send each other like copies of like you know, like my reporting or anchoring. And we had little things that we would say that only we would get, you know? Yeah. So no, Like who cares that nobody knows, but like, if you have those little, like if there's like, a, you know, a nod to you and a piece of art that only, you know, like that's always really special. That's cool. I agree with that. No, yeah. I think you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to, um, you know, this is my, this is my career for my, my life, I hope. So, I'm not going anywhere, so it's, you know, I'm not in any rush. There you go. Well, guys, really appreciate you. And if you stuck around this long, of course, don't forget, share, comment, retweet, help spread the word. Yeah. Uh, Slam that like button. Yeah. It's the community that uh, keeps it going. And, you know, Aku's message is one that needs to be echoed, uh, not just in Web3, uh, but, you know, globally. So help us. And we'll keep doing some content for you guys. For that, I will say see you next time.